I don't think you have to work in eating disorder specifically to understand or have an eating disorders informed approach. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. Welcome to the Seasoned RD. Today we get to talk with M. Palmerton, registered dietitian from Buffalo, New York. And if you listen to so many of my past episodes, I'm finding that New York is my favorite place for these amazing clinicians. Has been a dietitian since July of 2022. So brand new dietitian, not even a year, but began her career as a fitness instructor and massage therapist. And she just felt like something was missing. So returned to school to study nutrition, currently works in private practice and dually certified as a certified specialist in sports dietetics and an eating disorder specialist is what she's working towards. She also speaks today about being a registered yoga teacher, but more about like how we do somatic work in our nutrition care, how much of our nervous system is a resource to us and to our clients in her eating disorders practice. So she does reside in New York with her husband, dog, and a cat as well. Keeps a pretty intense garden for four months of warm weather in Buffalo. There's not a lot of warm weather. Please know when she talks about REDS, that's Red S, Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport. And there is a sort of a trigger warning on calories, but you know what? This is a podcast for professionals, so we are not going going to bleep out or edit out any kind of calorie numbers. Also, I made a mistake with the word sustained weight. I meant to say suppressed weight. So apologize for that. And Abby asks an amazing question. Like what about the dilemma of if someone's coming to you, they know they would be treated better because of a lower weight. So I want to lose weight. And Emily's response is so so good so I hope you'll listen in because let's be real there is so much safety associated with weight loss whether it's true or not a listener comment Krista I appreciate that podcast touches on a wide variety of topics that are applicable to all eating disorder providers but especially registered dietitians it's been nice to hear from several of your guests it's encouraging to hear other providers sharing information I agree with and it's also nice to hear other perspectives because no matter how long anyone has been in the field there will always be things we can learn from each other. That is exactly the podcast. Thank you, Krista, so much. Please do join me in the Supervision Freebies. This is February, our March freebie. We are already done with our February freebie, and it was fantastic with Jill Saki on family-based treatment. And we did have a medical provider join us on the freebie, which was so special. All the information is in the show notes. The March is back by popular demand. Dr. Voss and Melissa Marigetti on 
growth charts and how to talk with parents, how to help parents understand weight goals. Welcome, Emily Pomerton, to the Seasoned RD podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I know you've had some pretty amazing guests on the show, so to be up here with them is such an honor. So thank you. Well, we're just adding you to the list of amazing guests, really, especially as a newer dietitian. We're super excited to talk with you, get your perspective on things, but I'll ease you into it with some icebreakers. My first one for you is mountains or beach. I am definitely a mountains girl for sure. I don't do well in the hot weather. I don't really like the sun. Mountains are where it's at. Bonus if there's like waterfront mountain property, that that's where it's at. Little combo there. That does sound nice. And then breakfast or dinner? Honestly, I thought about this for so long. This was like the hardest question for me. Any other day of the year, I would probably say dinner, but lately I've been really leaning into breakfast. So I'm going to say breakfast. What's your go-to breakfast then? Uh, Well, so not to brag or anything, but I just was in Sweden for work for 14 days and they like, they crush breakfast. And I think I was getting like really sick of breakfast foods, but they do like cold spreads. So they like meat and cheese. So lately it's been the meat and cheese thing for breakfast. And I'm, I'm very much so into that. Love that. Sweden for work for 14 days. We're going to have to talk about this. Oh yeah. Sorry. I I maybe should have mentioned that before, but I just got back like three days ago. Love it. Okay. Last icebreaker, audiobook or paper book? I am paper book through and through. I do love an audiobook. I just I don't retain things as well. And I like to like look back on things and like skim through because I'll highlight and make notes and post-its and all that stuff. So I'm definitely a paper book. Awesome. Tell us how you got into the field of nutrition and how you got into interest in eating disorders. Yeah. So this is, this is probably going to be a, a little bit of a long story, but the short version of it is that I think when I was a lot younger, I was a little bit of a, like, I guess I'd say bigger kid. And my weight was something that was very prominent. It was focused on a lot. I think my, my parents were, I'll say bigger people were always on Weight Watchers or South Beach diet. And I think I was put on my first diet at around nine or 10 years old by my pediatrician, which is unfortunate, but I'm sure many people can relate to that. And then when I was in high school, I had mono. And if you've ever had mono, you know how miserable it is. And I don't think I ate anything except for Jello and Gatorade for about a week, 10 days. And inevitably, because I didn't eat, as most diets work, I lost some weight. But after that period of time, I started getting a lot of comments and, you know, applause for that weight change. Like, wow, you look great, all these things. And I think from then on, I became really fixated on avoiding weight gain. A lot of people who have had eating disorders or experienced that, they know that that can be a major trigger for people. And it's really because the way people treat you changes. So as I got into college, I was hyper aware of the freshman 15. So I was super concerned, made a lot of food choices based around avoiding weight gain, got interested in exercise, not really as a means to expand my life, but more as a way to control my body. And I got interested in the exercise science side of things. And for me, I think it was a way to 
lean into a lot of the behaviors that I'd been engaging in. So throughout my time in college, I was what I would now look back at and say was compulsively exercising. I was training for around three to four hours a day. I was playing rugby. I lost my period at that time. And of course, you know, to me, I was like, oh, I wonder what's going on. I had no idea about reds, no idea about maybe I had a little bit of a clue about female athlete triad. So I did finally see a, uh, I say specialist, but I mean OBGYN, and I had expressed my concerns about it. And I thought maybe it was something related to my training load. And she had looked at me and just as like a refresher on female athlete triad is that there's three qualifying conditions, low BMI, loss of a period and bone stress injuries or stress fractures. I had one of those conditions and my gynecologist looked at me and said, well, you're not thin enough to have female athlete triad. So I'm not concerned about that. And you know what? I've heard this story so many times from so many other people. Yeah. Because they just had no idea, no idea that this was even a thing. So of course the traditional medical model treatment of it is you, you know, get diagnosed with PCOS and put on birth control to regulate your hormones. And then you're sent on your way. So I didn't, I don't think I realized how important this experience was to me until I looked back on it much later, but I continued on my merry way. I worked as a fitness instructor for a while. I was actually teaching CrossFit. And again, I think this really, really fed into and leaned into a lot of the really disordered behaviors that I was engaging in a very, very over-controlled diet, uh, over-controlled exercise. And I eventually found my way out of it, not because I had had any sort of epiphany, but because I had some injuries which happens when you're under fueling. So I ended up working my way into massage school, became a massage therapist. And through that process, and I don't exactly have a timeline for how it happened, but I was working as a massage therapist for about a year, got overwhelmed with the idea of doing massage therapy full-time forever, considered the idea of going back to school. And I considered a couple of different things, physical therapy, but I kept going back to dietetics and nutrition. And I think at that time, like many people who are chaotic eaters or chronic dieters, they feel like they don't have control over their own eating. So I didn't consider it really as a possibility because in my mind, I was like, I can't even control my own weight. I can't even control what I'm eating. So why would I go back to school to help other people with this? But I think through that process, I really looked back and was able to reflect on how you know, maybe medical providers wasn't, weren't able to provide for me and how, you know, nutrition really was a big piece of this. And maybe I was going about it all wrong. And to be fair, I went back to school thinking that it would be maybe another semester or two. I would meet my prerequisites. I would get into a MSDI program, which is combined master's dietetic internship program and ended up being three and a half years. And I did a combined undergraduate and dietetic internship. So it was a huge chunk. And I will say it was really for me sort of checking the box of doing the things to become a dietitian and then do what I really was meant to do. I had no idea that this whole field existed out here. I wasn't even sure that I wanted to work in eating disorders, but honestly, once I learned that it was possible to focus on sports nutrition and eating disorders, I was like, this is a whole new world. So yeah. So wow. then I, I kind of was like, I have something to work for and work towards. Yeah. What you were meant to do. And that's the thing is that, yes, this is a, took a whole lot longer and to get there, the three and a half years versus just, you know, getting some prerequisites. And 
that's how you connected with Becca, right? Macomba. Yeah. Yeah. So I had been advised because I think at this point in time, I thought, oh, I'll just go into sports because I was an exercise science undergraduate in my initial undergrad. I was an exercise science major and I ended up working a lot with athletes as well as a massage therapist. So it kind of just felt natural or seamless for me to focus on sports nutrition. And I met with the dietitian for the Buffalo Bills, Christine, lovely woman. And she recommended that I join the Collegiate and Professional Sports Dietitian Association. So I joined that about a month later, there was a webinar on supervision in eating disorders for sports professionals. And I was like, eating disorders, interesting. And then I think it was Becca, Wendy Sterling, Leslie Schilling, and of course you, Beth. And I was like, there are legitimate professionals who are doing sports nutrition and eating disorders together. And I just, I had no idea. And then I think through that process, I I learned more about REDS and I looked back and I was like, oh my God, that was my experience. And even hearing Becca's story about how she had all these red flags and they were missed. And I was like, oh my, that's me. That is exactly what happened to me and so many other people who I've spoken to since. Yeah. Tell people what REDS is. It's red S since there's a dash and I'm like, I know that anyways, long story short, REDS or red S is the same thing. Of course. So REDS stands for relative energy deficiency in sport. And the relative means comparing your exercise to your intake. So at the time when I was, I'll say symptomatic, I had a loss of period, I was anemic, all these other things. I, you know, was and trigger warning, I am going to mention the calorie number. I was eating about 1900, you know, I was absolutely terrified to eat more than 2000 calories in a day, but I was eating 18, 1900 or 2000 calories, which for, you know, the recommendations that we have on the back of food labels is 2000 calorie diet. So to a normal person, that's not a low calorie diet by any means, but I was also training such a huge amount in comparison to what I was eating. And we know now that symptoms of REDS can begin as low as a 250 calorie deficit sustained. So it really, you don't have to be under eating to that degree, but REDS does affect a much wider range of, of your body versus female athlete triad. Female athlete triad is a little bit of an outdated term. That was again, as I mentioned, that was what was initially recognized as sort of this like disordered eating in sport. And it is part of REDS, but REDS was introduced to show how many systems of the body it could impact, as well as to be more inclusive for genders, because obviously female athlete triad only affects people in female bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. See, you just taught everyone. That's something that we, as the field evolves, that we had the female athlete triad, and then we go to relative energy deficiency in sport and relative energy deficiency. It doesn't even have to be in sport because some people are totally working out three hours a day or even one hour a day. And your story, yes, you are, you're doing what you're meant to do. And I forgot to ask you, Emily, Mm -hmm. bringing you back to your RD exam because you're a new RD. Uh, Your day, that day. Oh man, it's still so fresh in my mind. So I'd love to just relive that with you. <laughs> so traumatize it. You know, I will say too, I've always been a really good test taker. I do, I shine on test day, but so many people, I think the RD exam gets so much hype. Like it's just treated as this like 
so many people fail and so many people take it multiple times. And it's really not, it wouldn't have been the end of the world if I had to take it again, but I've never been so nervous for an exam in my life. I actually had a friend of mine drop me off for the exam because I was so nervous and I showed up like an hour early for the exam, took it. And of course, everyone says this, but when you take the exam, the answers are not straightforward at all. You have no idea if you did the right thing. It's your best guess for every single question. So when they give you that survey at the end and they're like, what did you think of the questions? What did you think of this? I'm like, just tell me how I did. (laughs) And then I was, I still was like, I have no idea how I did. And I think I ended up getting a 37, which is like a ridiculous score, but, and it really doesn't matter because passing is passing, failing is failing. Nobody cares how you scored on it, but like I way overshot it because I studied so hard because I was so nervous about this stupid test and it ended up like 37 is huge. What is like the top score? Like 40, I think is perfect. Uh, I think 50, but I, it's weird though. Cause it's a scaled score. So I can't say like you know, nobody really knows what the percentage is, but it I like I overshot sense. it because it was, it was so in my head how important this test was. And realistically, at the end of the day, like if you have to take it twice, nobody cares. Like it doesn't matter. It's true. It is true. And that you know, you saying that you are not you 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 shine for test taking, but yet you are still anxious. That's the thing that's important for people to realize is that we can get hyped up about something that's outside of what we normally would get hyped up about because of the way it plays out, the what we hear. Yeah. Yeah. Anticipation is such a powerful, powerful, powerful thing too. Mm -hmm. I think so many of us as dietitians are like that. You know, many of us are very type A. We are naturally good test takers typically, but when it comes to that dang exam, because you're, you know, your whole career is riding on it. I remember just wanting to like vomit the whole time. (laughs) I think Uh, I did. Yeah, I think I felt that way too when I got the letter. Actually, no, that was when I was accepted to a dietetic internship. I remember feeling sick to my stomach. Yeah. So much pressure. Okay. I want to kind of go back to, you had said something about the way people treat you changes. Ooh. Ooh. And this is back before you got into the field and you had lost some weight. And I, I remember my daughter in high school getting mono. Mm -hmm. And is this what we want, you know, for people to treat us better because of our body size and for you to be missed with the relative energy or the female athlete because of your weight, like, because you weren't a certain BMI, you know? Yeah. And I think this is something that is like, even in my dietetic program where you know, it's not health at every size informed, even like aside from Hayes, aside from this, we focus too much on BMI that we're missing things. And we have to recognize that, you know, there is not a perfect weight that everyone is going to fit into period. And when you're complimenting someone for their body and they were sick and they got there, you're essentially applauding these behaviors. And for me, that was an artificially low body weight. That was a weight weight that I was not going to be long-term. So I was really setting myself up for failure in that way anyways. Like I have not been that weight. No, it's a sustained weight is what we call it. And so when you said we put too much focus on BMI, I'm holding this sticker up and it is from maintenance phase, maintenance phase oh, podcast. I saw that on their store. Did you see that on their yeah. store? And so uh, 
therapist told me that her six-year-old was learning how to read and using saying phonetically what and she's like mommy what's it says the bmi is trash for those of you obviously you can't see this and she's like what is bimmy what is bimmy and her mom told her it stands for BMI and why it's trash. And so she's walking around the house going, the BMI is trash. The BMI is trash. And so I had to get this sticker and I've got some coming for our take one, leave one in our waiting room. When people come, they can just take a sticker, take a book, leave a book, leave a sticker. You know, that's what our waiting room is going to be. Ooh. Emily, your your story of how people treated you differently because you lost weight reminds me of so many of my high school patients where they, you know, are stuck in, I'm afraid to gain weight because they don't want people to treat me poorly again. And so maybe this is also a you Beth question, Hmm. but that's, it's hard to respond to that you know, of like, well, maybe they won't be mean or, you know, like it's a, it's a tricky situation when it is the truth that people will treat you differently. For sure. And I have a client actually who, so I've like started working, I'm in private practice now. I do work a little bit with eating disorders, but very cautiously, I think, you know, as a new RD and I can talk a little bit more about that, but I have this amazing, wonderful client who has had, you know, we've, we've had sessions where we've explored that, like, what would it mean to you? Or what would it do for you if you were to engage in this, in this eating disorder? And she said, you know, people would treat me better. And at the same time, do you want to go back to where you were mentally, where you were constantly thinking about this and constantly body checking? So like, yes, that is true. And at the same time, if somebody only sees that part of you and values that part of you, do they really deserve all of these other wonderful things that you have to offer as a person? Yeah, that's a big question. Do they really? It's And right now, the American Academy of Pediatrics has put out their recommendations on weight for adolescents and kids, teens. And it's, it's a hot topic that we're not even going to touch on. I don't even want to go there. But one of the things in Dr. Berman's episode with us was, like, what is it about weight loss that you really want? Mm-hmm. And I think it's hard maybe for Abby to answer or to kind of come back around to your question about high school age. Remember, our brains are not fully formed until 25-ish years old, same with our bones. And so the logic may not be there that I will be loved and accepted and I can be who I am no matter what size or shape or color or gender. It's just so hard for the, if you don't have a posse, a group of people that you already fit in with that accept you the way you are. Yeah. I think honestly, social media makes it so much harder you know, when you're expected, like you, you post pictures of yourself in a specific, you know, pose or body. And only within that thin ideal beauty standard, are you getting the likes and the traction? And that's just a different level of it that I personally didn't experience. And, you know, I'm in my late twenties. So it's, it's another layer that I can't even fully grasp that teens now are really having to think about and is probably altering their brain chemistry a little bit. 
I'm thinking. So we just had an interview with a psychiatrist, Dr. Shayla Sullivan, and she was talking about how she's the wicked witch of the West by not allowing her kids to have their phones at certain times. But her daughter came back and said, yeah, this is something, this is okay. I don't forget how she said it, Abby, but something about like going to sleep and she's like, all these kids are so tired, mom. Like you were right about this. Mm. Yeah. They're falling asleep in class. And so actually we talked to two psychiatrists this week and they talked, both of them talked a little bit about either sleep hygiene or insomnia. C, uh, I don't remember. CSP, CPS. <laughs> I'm terrible with acronyms. Excuse me, but how important sleep is. And so when we're on the on our phones, any kind of screen time, computer, phone, we've got the blue wave light coming. And then we're doing comparison. And there was a great podcast. I'll see if I can remember it to put it into the web, into the show notes on comparison. And I think it was Marcy RD, Marcy Evans, who talked mm-hmm. at Fancy but was on, maybe it was food heaven. Yeah. Yeah. She's done. I've done her body image course. And I think it's been so helpful because I think like, that's a part of it. Like, you know, your, how your social circle accepts you or sees you and how they treat you. They all feed into how your body image can change. And body image is something that's so dynamic too. So it can be one thing in the gym and an entirely different thing when you're on Instagram. Mm Mm-hmm. I just finished the body image course as well. Her and Fiona Sutherland, like mm, dynamic duo. Yeah, I know. And they just relaunched it too, which I'm a sucker. So I just immediately like repurchased it, (laughs) but it's great though, because it's such, it's such an in-depth course that it's good to revisit that at least going through it again. And I'm excited too, because their second round talks more about embodiment practices and like, I think in my background where I come from, where I'm a little bit more body-based as a practitioner is exciting for me to be able to tie that into my work as a dietitian. Yeah. You know, also when you said embodiment and you were a massage therapist, I know some of the treatment programs will hire and have a massage therapist working with the clients. A lot of my clients don't like touch. Can you feel, can you feel the fat there? Can you feel the fat there? And so do you do anything with that, with that touch or you Um, weren't practiced in that when you were doing your massage therapy? I don't think. I think as a massage therapist, I've always been more of a trauma informed practitioner. So I do think that I always do try to make it a safe space. And I always ask clients, you know, if they have any concerns. And of course, I've had clients who are either nervous about coming because they don't want to be seen or noticed, or they're really hyper-conscious, whether it's their body fat, or maybe they even have like acne on their body that they're really, really self-conscious about. And of course, that can take away from the experience. But I mean, I always try to remind people that I see people of all shapes and sizes, and that's not what I'm thinking about. But I think just trying to make sure the person knows that there's not judgment coming from me and Mm -hmm. it's safe space. I I know there are other massage therapists that I think are doing a really, really good job of this, whether it's through being more, more verbally inclusive, I guess, or like outwardly inclusive. And I'm not saying that I don't have an inclusive massage practice, but yeah, I think it's important to be 
trauma form trauma informed in that way because I, I think there's a lot of people that just don't get the massage because they're so concerned about it. Mm-hmm. But so what are you thinking about? You said I, I'm not thinking about that. Well, I think most of the time we're just thinking about our job, like what we're doing. I honestly, and this is maybe a little bit of the opposite of what people would expect, but I would say 70% of my intention or of my attention is going to my internal state. So again, this seems really backwards, but one of the things that I've learned as a massage therapist that I actually think was really serving me now in my life as a dietitian is how much of our own regulated nervous system is a resource. So I, in order for me to pay attention to my intuition and my work as a massage therapist, I have to pay attention to what my nervous system is doing. Wow. Emily or M, you can call her M by the way. (laughs) This is, you know, things that I hear this, I, I say this a little maybe too often in this, but I got chills when you said that the internal state and that when you said trauma informed Mm -hmm. and we have to understand how to, and and I think self-care may be overused, but kind of tuning in and being attuned to your internal state. That's huge. Like 70, but yeah, it didn't make sense when you're saying 70% is about what you're thinking or what you're attuned to for yourself. Absolutely. And I think, uh, a little bit of like polyvagal theory talks about how we have these mirror neurons. It's a mouthful where our nervous systems, we all evolved alongside each other. So connection, it can be really, really healing. So a little bit of massage is honestly smoke and mirrors. <laughs> like, you know, you're doing all these things, but realistically, I think one of the greatest things that we have is our ability to be a resource, be more grounded than our clients and to, in a way, teach their nervous systems how to be more regulated. And I think this is true in our work as dietitians as well, where we're sort of modeling and we're able to be more grounded in our internal state. And if we are self-regulated, if we are doing the work, we can share that with our clients and use it as a resource, which is coming back to self-care. It's important for us to you know, be attuned and to have this practice and to not burn ourselves out because our nervous systems are a resource. They're a tool. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I want you to tell us what else you're into. You have Mm -hmm. this fancy microphone in front of you and we'll make sure to put all your information in the show notes, but just hearing you talk, I think you are a gift to your area of whoever you're serving. I'm just so glad that we met. What are you into right now? You're in private practice. Oh yeah. So well, this is fun. So I have ADHD and I'm sure for many of the listeners who do, like they understand the world of having special interests. So I have many things that I'm interested in, but I, in the pandemic, I started a podcast. It's, I'm going to take it down because at this point, I think my views have evolved so much that it's almost a little bit outdated, but it was called navigating the wellscape. It's kind of a play on the word hellscape because the wellness industry is such a hellscape. So the idea was to interview different professionals in the health and wellness industry to kind of help sort through the the bullocks. So that was that, which is how I ended up with this microphone, which also my brother, shout out to him. He gave it to me because he works for Sure Microphone. So I got the employee discount on that. 
I don't know if I should disclose that, like if that's like something that, but it's fine. So started that, but that's been on hiatus for probably about at least a year now. I'm looking into starting a new one actually with my boss. I work in Buffalo, New York at a fully virtual private practice called Be Fueled Sports Nutrition. And it's a eating disorder informed, pretty much health at every size, even though it's like maybe not on our website that it's health on every size, because we want people who come from all backgrounds, whether they identify as health at every size or not to feel welcome and wanted and seen in our practice. We do, we do accept clients that are looking at weight loss, even because I think it's not fair to completely close our doors to those clients, but we are, it's, it's hard. It's, I think more energetically draining to work with people that are hyper-focused on weight loss. But I think I entered the field as somebody that wanted to lose weight. So, you know, I, I, I feel that I have so much compassion for that, but almost every single one of my clients who have come through the doors, who started off considering seeing a nutritionist for weight loss has shifted their focus to other things and recognize how much their lives have expanded when they've been able to shift that focus. <laughs> so I'm working in private practice right now. We do one-on-one virtual coaching. We have a coaching model. So rather than meeting people once every two weeks, we have a continuous level of support. Of course, that is a little bit more of a, an investment and it's really important for us to be as accessible as possible. So we do also have a membership-based option. So I teach a class once a month. My boss, Natalie, who's amazing, she does a Q&A for an hour once a month, as well as we send out an email newsletter with recipes and tips and mindset pieces and fun things like that. And that's been so much fun because I I do the master class once a month and I can pretty much do whatever I want. So we're doing one on stress management next month. And I'll be able to talk all about the, some of the modalities that I use that are more body-based. And we also, oh yeah, we're starting a podcast. So that's another thing that I'm really excited about because to me, it's something that it's totally free. Anybody can afford it. Anybody can tune into it. And I think just having that community of providers or of people that are looking at more than just your weight, your BMI. I mean, I know we talked about community, as a means for our teenagers, sadly, like their community might be hyper-focused on weight or BMI, but we have this virtual sort of community where you're hearing voices that are saying like, Hey, there's ways outside of just focusing on weight or just focusing on, you know, exercising as much as possible and eating as little as possible. And that's honestly in the sports world. Sometimes that is a really, really radical voice to hear. Absolutely. And I think to your point of y'all will still accept patients who are interested in weight loss. I think that's a huge piece because it sometimes it feels in this side of dietetics, like that's demonized. Like, oh, how dare you work with someone who is wanting to lose weight? Like that's completely inappropriate. You know, it, it, it feels demonized for sure, right. but you're totally right. Like people don't always know the other side of it. They don't know that that's not what they have to do, that they don't need to lose a hundred pounds to be healthy or, you know, whatever it is. So I'm that I think is something we don't talk enough about. Oh yeah. And I, I mean, even something that I learned in school where we talked about what 
the uh, motivational interviewing and the trans theoretical model of change, you know, we expect people to come into this work as somebody who's ready to take action and they're in the action stage and the theoretical stages of change. But realistically, like we work a lot with ambivalence and people who are maybe not quite ready to take that step and move into that. And I think there's practitioners who are they choose to have people who are ready. They are ready to take those action steps to take a more, I'll say, holistic approach versus strictly weight loss. And that's completely fine. I have so much respect for that. But I think realistically, like where our expertise is, is in working with ambivalence and working with people who aren't really sure what they want. Yeah, that goes back to the episode that you helped me prepare to drop with Alexandra. I thought I was coming to you for weight loss. And then I keep bringing back Dr. Berman and her informed consent. It's really like, yes, people are going to come to us because they have been bullied and they have been, they, they feel like weight loss is going to be the answer to their yeah. emotional needs and their physical needs. There's so much safety, so much safety. Safety. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't always work this way, unfortunately, but it's so nice when you get a client who wants to come in for weight loss and maybe they're weighing a bunch or, you know, doing all the things and you're like, what? Well, you don't really have to do that. Like, why don't we just not get on the scale? Or what if we didn't do that? And then it like opens up the world to them and they're like, oh my gosh, well, I, I didn't know I could do that. It's just, it, it definitely makes the job rewarding. For sure. Yeah. And it's, it's, like, like I said before, I think it's so, you don't know what's on the other side. I think you said that Abby, you don't know what's on the other side of that. And, you know, a lot of us are engaging in these behaviors because they are some degree of safety and comfort. And it's really, really, really scary to let that go. It's not something that, you know, happens overnight or instantaneously. Mm-hmm. And that word ahead, safety. Then. Yeah. That word safety is such a big piece of it because, here we are dietitians and we're, I always will say, work with a therapist with these clients who are seeking, you know, whatever safety within the, the food that they're eating, if they're trying to do weight loss, but struggling with it because, because. <laughs> we'll do the like. Yeah. And I even lost my thought and I haven't been doing this. Emily was with us when I was in the hospital, right? Weren't you here? Uh, Yeah. So we were together for about a week and then you had your surgery. Yeah. And then I stayed there a lot longer than I meant. So I have been doing really well with staying on track. And then I should have written down what I was going to say about that. But anyway. I love how you use the word bullock, bullocks. Too. I know. Yeah. I wasn't sure if the, uh, this was an explicit podcast or not. So <laughs> yeah. I really have to be uh, cautious about my, my cursing. No. And I learned that word through Josh Woolrich, uh, Nutribullocks. Ooh, I've been so excited to read. He has the book. Food is not medicine, right? Something Correct. Yes. I, that's on my, I need to, I need to read that because. Uh, it's a good one. Mm-hmm. And he's got some really fun Instagram posts too. I think he's moving a little bit away from some of that, but I think he was taking time out from his surgical practice to get a master's in nutrition. 
And so he's a good voice for us in the field. Mm -hmm. For sure. Emily, I'm excited for this podcast. And I think, especially just with your background, Beth, I don't remember who we were talking to about this, but like back, back in the day when they were sending kids to quote unquote fat camps. And so just like that side of history. And then as a kid growing up, like being put on a diet at such a young age, I think there's so many people that went through that. So it'll be cool to, if, I don't know if you're planning on talking about that on the podcast, but it'll. Oh yeah, for sure. I think it'll definitely, it'll definitely come up and it's, it's interesting too. Cause I think that experience has shaped so much of, of my work. And I just, I don't know. I, not that I wish that experience upon anyone else, but I wish that people were more sensitive to that when they were prescribing weight loss Mm -hmm. and had any idea of the, I'm sure cohort of people who have had that experience who now have a really dysfunctional relationship with food. I mean, I can't think of a single adult in my family that doesn't have an issue where, you know, it's maybe not a full-blown eating disorder or anything like that, but there, I can't have this in the house because mm-hmm. I can't control myself around that. And yes, maybe it's not an eating disorder, but you know, we don't even consider what our relationship with food or how that affects our mental health in any way, shape or form. So mm-hmm. hopefully that there's enough reach to it that people recognize. Cause I mean, I don't think you have to work in eating disorder specifically to understand or have an eating disorders informed approach. Yeah, I agree. Well, it sounds like lots of big things for you to come. I'm excited to see, but I do have a wrap up question for you. So if you were to take yourself back to entering the field of eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now? Oh gosh. Well, I guess I'm still entering the field of eating disorders. So this is probably (laughs) advice to me now. But you don't have to know everything at once. You don't have to do everything at once. Part of the purpose of learning these things is being able to apply them. So if you don't have time to integrate them, then that's not enough time to to do it. It's like the learning and the integrating are two separate processes. And if you try to learn too much at once, then you don't actually have a chance to integrate them and use them. But it's hard, I think, like to be here and knowing how... Honestly, and I, I mean, no hate to my dietetic program, but like how poorly they prepared me for this, what I'm doing. So I feel like I'm playing a lot of catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think you have the tools right now to help people. Yeah. What I would say to myself. Oh, that is, listen, I think I've said this before that dietetics students are going to be required to have a weight inclusive toolkit as part of their curriculum. Yeah. Starting this year, I think we're working on it, but the learning and the integration, being able to apply it, it's, I'm thinking of Amanda Mello Springs episode. We can't just webinar all the time. For sure. And so we can come into the field red hot, wanting to read everything and webinar all the time and, and take notes and whatever it may be. So that uh, application that you said, learning and integration, it takes time. Even Dr. Ziering, who we just interviewed was, that's his, he's as a psychiatrist, he said, it's just takes time. That's great advice. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, Em, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks. I'm so glad that you had me. You know, maybe someday I'll look back and be like, this was Emily's first pot. Yeah, <laughs> look back. <laughs> like this is before. No, I I think it's great too, because I know you have like a lot of, I'll say celebrities on your pot. And maybe that's a strong word because it's such a niche industry, but mm-hmm. there's also a lot of people who are not celebrities, but are doing amazing things. Yeah, so, that's the goal. Yeah. Like you. And like Abby said at the beginning, when you said, oh, I don't feel, I don't know. She said, well, you're right in here with the rest of, of the people who have been doing this for a long time or just who are doing really amazing things because you're doing amazing things too. And your voice will be heard. I thank you so much for joining today. Thanks for having me. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethharrell.com slash professionals.